Hello, crime lovers, and welcome to Crime on Tap. I'm Megan, joined by my co-host, Sean. And welcome to our true crime podcast. Join us weekly as we drink our favorite cocktails and discuss gruesome murders, kidnappings, conspiracies, and more. Share the podcast with your friends, family, and heck, your grandma. Leave a review and make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Crime on Tap Pod. Tune in for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Whether you're driving to work or doing laundry, Crime on Tap will be sure to fulfill your true crime fix each week. And now, buckle up for this week's episode. Listen and enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Crime on Tap. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Are we drunk? No, I'm just... I had a long day. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm like dying. But anyways, welcome back, you guys, to another episode. We are so thankful that you guys are here. My name is Sean, joined with my co-host... Megan. <laughs> I wish we could do video recordings. <laughs> Well, we've talked about, like, streaming our episodes and then putting them up. So if yeah. you guys want that, let us know. That would be so much fun. Because I feel like we're much more than just our voices. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be a lot of fun, too. I was thinking this while I was watching the episode of Snap that we're going to be talking about. How fun it would have been to watch that together. Let me tell you what. This episode of Snapped would have been so fun to watch together. There were so many different, like, twists and turns in it. I was really into this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was... What are the... What are the what is that quote they say like truth is stranger than fiction or whatever you cannot make this stuff up i think that's what you say <laughs> i swear it's a quote <laughs> it's i've never i've never fucking heard that before oh <laughs> <laughs> well i guess i just say that <laughs> Alrighty, guys. So thank you again for being here. We want to ask you guys to help us out, and we really do apologize <laughs> for the for the thousandth time we have gone another week without another sponsorship. So we're getting another anchor ad. <laughs> we we really should re-record that ad, but it's just like that one's so good that we just want to keep rolling with it. <laughs> well, it took us forever to record that. For some reason, we get like so slap happy. Yeah, and remember we were like, oh, maybe we should re-record it every week so people are not listening to the same ad every single time. But yeah, that got old after the third week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thought we would just have more sponsorships by this time. And it's just like, nothing's coming in, guys. So leave a like, leave a review. Please (laughs) share this podcast with your family and friends. Like, we can't ask you anymore. Like, we're literally just begging at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And we're begging for your sake because do you really want to hear that anchor ad again that is i'm sure memorized by our loyal viewership mm-hmm. our solid seven to ten listeners every week we thank you so much for bearing with us through that ad every week <laughs> but shit like if you guys got any connections please let us mm-hmm. just mess like anything honestly we, we will literally do a fucking men's depends ad we'll do anything at this point <laughs> Like, I'll give you a full review <laughs> how they work. <laughs> we'll we'll piss our pants just for the review. <laughs> <laughs> we do anything at this point. <laughs> or but, like um that amazing 2005 movie that was one of my favorites. John Tucker must die, and he does like yes. a herpes ad. We'll do a herpes ad like John Tucker. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I love that movie. 
I've seen <laughs> it like bag. it's on. It was on MTV like every single day back in like two thousand in the late two thousands. I thought that was like the epitome of cinema when I was that <laughs> age. Like I was like, this is brilliant. It has everything. <laughs> I can die happy now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Megan, here on Crime on Tap, we not mm-hmm. only like to talk about true crime and anything related to conspiracies, murders, deaths, disappearances, kidnappings, stabbings, and much cults. more. We've done cults. cults. Yes, but we also like to get a little tipsy. So Megan, what are you drinking tonight? Well, because it was such a long day, I worked at the salon today because the regular gal is on vacation. She went to Puerto Rico, so... Mm. (laughs) Uh Puerto Rico, interesting. Yeah, for her daughter's high school graduation present. I was like, I got a fucking fountain pen, but (laughs) okay. (laughs) I don't know what I got. You got a fountain pen? No, I made that up. I don't know what I got. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> well, your major was creative writing, so I kind of believed it. No, this was high school. Well, like you're going into creative writing. Oh. So I was oh, like, oh, I she, she got a pen. No, I don't remember. Well, for my college graduation, I actually, I got plane tickets to go to New Orleans, but. Oh yeah, with a special somebody. <laughs> with, a, with a special, with a no longer special somebody. <laughs> that trip was so fun though. I don't care if it was with a mix. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I remember your pictures and videos. It looked like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was it was super fun. Um, um, but anyway, that was a long roundabout way of saying I'm drinking coffee because I need an extra boost. <laughs> I literally was going to ask you if you told us what you're drinking. I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I went off on a tangent. It's fine. <laughs> How's the journey? You want to give a little update to everyone listening? I'm still on the journey, but I definitely have some Ben and Jerry's in my freezer right now. So, like, there's some bumps on the journey, but, like, I really want that ice cream. Every time we record, you're like, I'm still on the journey. I treated myself today. I had four (laughs) frappuccinos. That's so true. It's like, I'm on the journey, but I'm treating myself every day. I got through the day so I can treat myself. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so accurate. (laughs) Not to like call you out, but like... (laughs) No, no, I... No, that's very accurate. As long as you can just acknowledge it and, you know, like tomorrow's a new day. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'll start back tomorrow. Or what was that thing that, yeah. I don't know if we're allowed to say her name now, LH, our friend LH. <laughs> she got upset we used her full name last episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we went to Ireland, she said, our diet starts when we get back. Because <laughs> we literally ate like a four course meal, every single meal. It, like six donuts. Remember those donuts? Oh my god. Oh my god. Boomerang. Yes. Oh my god. Boomerang donuts. <laughs> In Ireland, sponsor us. <laughs> oh my god, anything, please. Okay, so I'd say I'm still on the journey too. I've gone three weeks now. I've gone to the gym every single morning at either 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. So I'm staying consistent, but I definitely had three coffees today. I had a Dunkin' Donuts donut and um, I ate like half a box of cheese that's at, at work. So, um, <laughs> I'm not sure how much the gym is making a difference in my life, but it's giving me an excuse to eat bad. <laughs> well, it's like the more calories you burn, the more you can eat, right? Well, today, I mean, it's Friday, 6.30 p.m. I need a little drink. 
And so tonight I have a little lemon lime seltzer with a little lemon absolute vodka. So it's just like a vodka soda. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. all it is. That sounds it's good. It's taking the edge off for sure. It's a nice summer drink. Mm-hmm. And it's nice and light. Like, you know how some drinks it's like, I'm literally bloated and like gagging drinking this. Without further ado, Megan, how about we get right into the episode? So our snapped journey, everything's a journey here on Crime on Tap, with Beatrice Camper is the episode name. We start in Peekskill, New York, which is on the Hudson River. It's kind of, it's 45 minutes from Manhattan. It's like a lot of families live there. It's a suburb. And then, you know, the people then commute into the city. And so it's a nice place to start a family if you work in Manhattan and that sort of thing. So, you know, typical, it's always small town, quaint and cute, but- on this day in October, there was a 911 call from a mail carrier on Pine Street. They always are referring to Pine Street. I feel mm-hmm. like never in a snapped episode other like on Pine Street, like <laughs> talking about the street. I think it was important because this guy was a taxi driver. So he was doing a, either a pickup, a drop off. We'll later find out, but on Pine Street and he was like slumped over so the mail carrier thought it was a heart attack so the police officer came and checked his vitals and thought oh maybe it was a heart attack but then she felt blood on his neck and it turned out he was shot twice in the head and so when the ambulance the emts came they found little signs of life which that is crazy i know because the police officer was like oh yeah he seems dead Well, also in the 911 call, you hear the mail carrier and they're like, we got a dead man on Pine Street. And they're like, on Pine Street? And then like, oh, he's dead in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. From the 911 call, we'll put it in. They sounded very surprised that yeah. on our Pine Street, a dead body? <laughs> right? Fucking Pine Street. Take some knowledge, Mercy. There's a dead man on the street. On Pine Street? Yeah, he's in his car. He looks like he probably had a heart attack. Anyway, so they immediately are doing CPR and they race him off to the emergency room. And it turns out it was 53-year-old Terry Camper, who was a local taxi driver that, of course, everyone loved. He was Chatty Cathy, all that. And he was married to Beatrice Camper for 10 years at this point. So now his six-year-old wife is, her husband is fighting for his life. Okay, so moving on from that. So like every other episode of Snapped, we love Snapped series because they're all based around women killers. Mm-hmm. Now, we get a little backstory on Beatrice. I'm going to start calling her B because I cannot pronounce her name. Beatrice. Yes. Beatrice. Beatrice. She was born in 1952, not far from Peekskill. So she knew the area pretty well. She grew up in Queens, New York City. And when she was a teen, she fell in love with a man named John. Now, John, he was not the best man. He was your typical bad boy. You know, he committed two homicides. You know, he was just doing bad boy tings. (laughs) Bad boy? <laughs> was that on purpose? <laughs> so, We're not going to address that. I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So what you can imagine is that both of them were pretty toxic for each other. They were doing drugs. B went down a very dark path. Pills, cocaine. John got put in jail for the multiple homicides he was committing. While he was in jail, they kind of just fell out of love, lost touch, and she was just kind of moving on with her life. You know, he's in jail for over 30 years. She needs to figure out something to do in the in the meantime. <laughs> pretty much. She's just biding her time. <laughs> Literally, meantime, basically. So in her 20s, she then meets a different guy. He seemed to have his shit kind of figured out. He didn't kill anybody. He wasn't doing like hardcore drugs. It's and, a low bar. Yeah, like really not asking for much here. And it seemed like B kind of straightened her life out as well. She had two girls and a boy, but ultimately that good guy that she was with, it ended in divorce, which at this point I'm kind of assuming that it's kind of, it's going to be B's fault for a lot of her failures in relationships, but we'll get into that a little bit later. B then kind of got some empty nest syndrome once her kids grew up and left the house, which is kind of shocking because we don't hear about her kids anywhere forward in this episode, Mm -hmm. which I feel like they would be able to add a lot of details unless they just had no relationship with their mother, but I feel like they could give a lot of info and insight on the backstory of her life and what actually happened here. And we don't hear the name of this second guy that she had the kids with. We don't know anything Mm -hmm. about him. He was probably like, leave me out of this. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we get that a lot in these episodes. We just get nameless people. Once her kids left, she wanted to start her life over, and that's when she moved to Peak Skills, New York. So now moving on from Beatrice, we go to Terry, who's the taxi driver who's been shot twice in the head in the car. And he grew up in Mississippi, kind of, but because at the age of five, he moved to the Peak Skills with his family. Um, He had two sisters, and his dad's job is why they moved. He got a job at the VA hospital. And they seem to be a very close-knit family. Like, we hear a lot from his sisters and cousins. Like, Cousin Vern. I love Cousin Vern. Yes. I love them. I love his whole family. Mm -hmm. They clearly were very close and loved him very much. So he graduated in 78. And the thing he wanted to do was open his own taxi company. He loved talking to people. He loved driving around. And he was like, this is exactly what I want to do. And so by the time the 90s hit, he had a substantial business for himself. One of his sisters were saying that lawyers, doctors, and politicians, like, they requested him to take them to the airport, you know? Which, is that weird? Like, I see Terry Camper with his fucking white minivan with the sign that says taxi on it. (laughs) I don't see him as, like, an Escalade car service. (laughs) Okay, now I see what angle you're coming from. Yeah, like, he, you know, kind of lived in, like, a shitty little apartment. I kind of see where you're coming from. Yes. I mean, he looks like he dressed Mm -hmm. snazzy. Like, we saw some pictures of him. It looked like he had some silk shirts. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. I'm not buying it. (laughs) Oh, you don't? You think they were inflating him a little bit? Is that what you're (laughs) trying to say? I think they were really trying to be really nice about his taxi company mm-hmm. well yeah because they said the money was pouring in but then they like were showing clips of like where him and beatrice lived and you see like a box fan in the window and it looks like a dormitory <laughs> so i feel like rich people don't have box fans i don't know yeah I, I don't know i don't know why lawyers would i mean i'm sure he's a nice guy and everything but it's just like would he have survived uber and lyft like i don't know he started this in the 70s and was still going by 2012 uber wasn't a thing yet (laughs) exactly yeah i think they're just really hyping him up 
But anyways, you can continue. <laughs> okay, I'm allowed. Okay. He always said he was like a ladies man, but his sisters were like, oh, I don't believe that. Like he was just like with nobody. <laughs> so I guess he didn't have a lot of luck with the ladies, even though he pretended he did. That's kind of what I got from that. Yeah. A lot of them took his like nice personality, his good character, and just wanting to talk to people and get to know people as like flirting, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe coming on strong, or they friend zoned him, as they say. Yeah, even if he didn't have interests, he just enjoyed talking to them. And then girls would be like, "Oh my god, Terry's flirting with me." Just having casual conversation. <laughs> yeah, like those people exist. <laughs> I'm not one of them, but everybody's flirting with Megan. Yes. <laughs> Everyone wants a piece of me. So his life of loneliness all changes when he picks up Beatrice at the train station. She opens right up and says, oh yeah, I'm going through detox. I'm going into a program. I'm assuming, they didn't say, but I'm assuming she went back to drugs after her kids left. Yeah. Because it sounded like she had cleaned herself up in her 20s, married that guy, had the kids. And then once the kids left, she kind of, and was divorced, she kind of like didn't know what to do with herself. So she must have turned to drugs again for her to need to go to rehab. And she said, I need a place to stay for when she got out of the program. So he became her regular driver, driving her to and from like NA meetings and all that stuff. And so when she got out of the program. So this is where I'm, what I'm saying, like Terry was B's personal driver. And then they say that he's, he's also the like personal driver for like lawyers and doctors and politicians. Like I, he's driving B to like her detox meetings. Is he driving the president to the white house? It's like, oh, first I gotta <laughs> drop someone off at their AA meeting. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, right? I see. I just don't see the correlation. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't even know if he was charging her for these or if he just, like, had a crush on her. Because it seemed like she didn't have any money. Yeah. I wonder if he gave all the cute girls, like, free rides. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why everyone loved Terry, then. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So, after she was, like, done with her detox program thing terry had like introduced her to the family as a friend and everything and he finally had said to them like hey i have feelings for her can she stay with somebody can you guys help me you know get her back on her feet so she actually ended up living with terry's mother for eight or nine months while seeing terry and then after that eight or nine months they moved in together into that box fan apartment (laughs) and Only after a year of knowing each each other, he proposed and she said yes. And so they married in 2002. He inherited her grandkids. We don't hear like his relationship with her kids, but he loved being a grandpa to her grandkids and doted on them and everything. So they settled into a comfortable, modest life together. She worked at Walmart and he did his business and was contracting more drivers. And she would sometimes ride along with him because he didn't like to be alone because he was a chatty chatty guy so sometimes his friends and but most of the time Beatrice would ride along with him and they were always together unless she was working or visiting her daughter for the weekend which she Mm -hmm. did quite often towards the end of their mirage Mm, yeah that's what she said she did but we'll get into that later yeah mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I just the reason I love this episode is because they sprinkled these little seeds 
And yeah. until it was all revealed, I was like, oh my God, that's why they said that. Exactly. So. Oh my God. I want to add some things to what you just said. Mm-hmm. A lot of his family in the episode mentioned they loved them. They were a great couple. They seemed very happy together. They got along great. You know, they really enjoyed each other's company. We get a little transition back to the murder scene. Again, to recap, Terry Camper was shot twice in the back of the head in his taxi cab on Pine Street. EMTs are performing CPR on him and they're rushing him to the hospital, still performing CPR, giving him the best care possible, trying to keep him alive. We see B showing up at the hospital and she is completely in distraught. She's crying, very emotional, visibly very upset. Terry is then pronounced dead, which is very sad because he was, again, a very good man. He had a great character. Everybody loved him, and this poor man was shot twice in the back of his head. What police assumed what happened was this was a robbery. You get those druggies who just want to get their quick fix, and they're going to do anything to get their fix. And most of the time, taxi drivers are known to have cash on hand. So police suspected that a druggie came up behind, shot him twice in the back of the head, took all of his money, and kind of dashed. And now... (laughs) We also get a little backstory on Terry where his his cousin Vern said that he loved to flash his money Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that they called him a lizard. (laughs) Yeah, like I'll put in the quote. I always tell him, I says, uh, lizard, stop showing your money because he would always tell me like he was showing a few dollars. I said, put your money away. I love Vern. I love Vern. The police say how helpful the family is and everything, and they just want to get this solved, get justice for Terry. And Mm -hmm. so Terry's friend Ruth comes forward, and she would do ride-alongs with him too, like Beatrice did. So she was actually riding with him earlier that day. Mm -hmm. And before he dropped her off back at her house, he had like, you know, his cell phone, his business cell phone with him. Someone called and said, hey, I need to pick up on Pine Street. And so she's thinking, I talked. This was probably the guy. Yeah. So then they're like, oh, great. The police are like, okay, so we're going to start looking at the phone. They always are looking at the phone towers. They're looking at always. the numbers, looking at the calls. They're, if it's snapped, there's a phone tower. <laughs> there's a there's a cell phone ping somewhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now they are like, oh, well, you know, we want to get a hold of that phone. So they're going over, you know, looking at the taxi, looking for clues. <laughs> <laughs> They find two shells in a live round in the car, so they were able to identify the gun. It was like, what is it called? Like a something caliber something. Uh, 22 caliber. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I I don't care enough about guns to, to listen to that. So. And also they found his wallet empty, so that kind of goes along with their theory of robbery. The phone was missing that they wanted, so they figured, oh, it's probably been stolen. So then, of course, they are like, ring-a-ding-ding to... Ding-a-ding-ding-ding-ding-ding. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> that went on too long. <laughs> to the cell phone tower and they track the phone and it's not in peak skill but in west point they find so they go down because it doesn't ping the exact location it's like a radius so they go to where the radius of where the phone is and they have the detective do what i do when i lose my phone just call it (laughs) call it call it (laughs) and see if you can hear it (laughs) i'm like how lucky did they get just calling the damn phone and he didn't have it on silent 
<laughs> I know. That's if this was 2012. But I'm saying if it was 2021, that thing yeah. would have been on silent or vibrate. But luckily, it was on loud and it was not dead. That was another <laughs> thing. I was like you're lucky the phone didn't die. And so it was like in a wooded area on the side of the road. So yeah. they're thinking someone must have thrown it out of the car. Yeah. No, this was only 10 hours after Terry was found, right? Yeah. So they are like on their feet. Yep. There's a lot of detective work because then they figure, oh. If they're going from Peekskill to the West Point area, they have to go over Bear Mountain Bridge. Of course, yes. So they're like, all right, we got to get that footage. (laughs) So their next thing is to find out when the cell phone went over Bear Mountain Bridge so that Mm -hmm. they can see which cars are around and see if, you know, they can find anything. There's a lot of detective work. I was impressed. It was crazy. It was like some Hardy Boys Nancy Jersha up in here. <laughs> Seriously, the New York police. I don't think we've had a story yet in New York and shit. The New York police went pretty fucking hard for this case. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because he was beloved. He was mm-hmm. a beloved taxi driver. They say that a lot. He was beloved. <laughs> So now at this point, they have Terry's phone and they're going through the call log and they're going through the records to see what the last phone calls that were made on the phone. It appears that the last call that was made was to a, a burner phone that could not be tracked, which was in 2012 were track phones like a big thing yet? I don't remember. <laughs> well, I think burner phones are pretty much track phones, aren't they? Oh, is it like solely a track phone? I don't even know. I think it, burner phone is like what they're called when you're doing illegal things with it, I feel like. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like a track track phone that you put minutes on you know that's not like with a provider or with a name or account or anything like yeah our iphones are or something yes they see that the last phone call made was to a burner phone they called the burner company and the company could not give out any names to who was calling because i mean they don't have the name either so yeah (laughs) it's not like they could give the name so another number that they tracked down was the number of sandra dolman and they went to her house and they were just curious about how there was any connection to to terry so they go to her house and they're like hey do you by chance know whose number this is they're asking about the burner phone number mm-hmm. and sandra was like oh yeah that's john murray's number oh yeah that's john murray's number she said that they met through an associate of hers when she was a resident sing sing, sing. what's sing sing the maximum prison in new york oh i thought they met at like a mental hospital well yeah sandra there's something not quite <laughs> there with her i'm pretty sure they met at like an insane asylum or something well she said she met him through an associate of hers who was a resident at sing sing so i'm like what does she mean by associate is it her drug dealer is it like her pimp like what is going on here yeah um, like she didn't say friend she said associate (laughs) she immediately identified as being her friend john murray and then when i was in down at the police station they asked me how did I know Mr. Murray? I told them that I met John Murray through an associate of mine who was a, let's say, a um, resident of Sing Sing. So I don't, yeah, we don't know if she was high on something during this episode, mm-hmm. but there's something really not there with Sandra. So yes, we get that Sandra is giving us all the tea and mm-hmm. she's telling us that this number belongs to John Murray. John Murray, we know he's new to you guys. John Murray um, is an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to his house and they discover that he was just released in November of 2011 for two murders and was living with his life for the past 11 months who he married in prison. <laughs> interesting enough 
know if she was a minister who lived in Newburgh. Newburgh was one of the places that he would have to drive through, or that the person would have had to drive through. Yeah. Like from Peatskill to West Point. So interesting enough, they get this guy's name, John Murray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they, in fact, find his car driving over the the bridge from Peaksville to West Point around 1 to 2 p.m. in the afternoon on the day of Terry's murders. Mm -hmm. So they got a good connection. They got John Murray's phone calling from a burner phone to call Terry. And then also they find his car driving in the same direction as where Terry's phone was found discarded. So they get a pretty good assumption that John Murray had something to do with this. Mm Mm-hmm. After midnight, they knocked on his door and he wasn't happy, but he cooperated and went downtown, quote, with them. And the police said that he was a tough nut to crack and very cold and hardened. And when they asked where he was during the time of Terry's murder, he was like, I was in Newburgh with my wife. The end. So then they have some information. So they're like, oh, so this is your phone number. What, What are you doing on Terry's call list. And that's when he clams up and stops talking and says, all right, I'm ready to leave. And didn't have anything to hold him on. So they let him leave. Yep. And so is this it? Is it the big reveal? Yes. (gasps) So next we get the big twisty, 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 twisty twist of the episode. It's twisty and twirly. The police are literally like doing everything they can to figure out this connection between Terry and John. So they go to the prison system, look up the call and phone logs of the visitors that are coming in and out. Also, can't you like go to like the phone machines and make calls and stuff? Like, I don't know how that shit works, but yeah. somehow they're looking up the phone, phone records here and they find that there was hundreds 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 over 900 phone calls within the last 11 months between john murray and miss b (laughs) (gasps) oh my god what (laughs) like so if you guys were not paying attention we mentioned that b's first husband's name was john now john went away for two homicides and yes you are correct this is the same john (laughs) oh my god can you believe it i i was literally nutting when this episode got to this point (laughs) i was shooketh i should say so we find that b and john are still like pretty close they keep in good contact so yeah it was actually sandra they had they'd seen that beatrice was calling and visiting him i'm calling him so much that they did the math and they had to be calling each other two to three times a day for the last 11 months of his sentence and so knowing sandra is kind of like the only kind of person that's giving them this type of information they go to queen sandra who has no idea what's going on but knows exactly what's going on at the same time (laughs) she's like oh yeah oh yeah so john and beatrice that was like her first love or whatever and yeah so they're like together (laughs) which is funny because like the police's most reliable source is sandra who is not the most stable what is that saying she wouldn't know her asshole from a hole in the ground (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate for Sandra. <laughs> yes, but she had the tea. Mm-hmm. It was pretty insane how how much in contact they were in. Now, you did mention that this was like two to three calls per day, like mm-hmm. estimation. Like, I thought they were in prison. Like, aren't you like behind bars? Why does he have so much free time to go out and make calls when he's in prison for like over 30 years? And he, like, killed people. Like, how does he have that freedom? I don't get it. Well, and I also feel like I always see on TV that inmates don't like when inmates use the, the phone too much. You know? Because they're yeah. like, talk to my family. Where do you get to talk to your son? Like, he must have been, like, top dog in, like, the prison hierarchy for him to be on the phone so much. That was what I was thinking. Right? <laughs> like, he was bribing guards <laughs> Yeah, because usually you see, like, a line, of, a line of guys, like, hurry the fuck up. Let's go. I'm ready to talk to my wife or something. Yeah, exactly. So that's funny. I thought that too. I was like, how how did he have so much time to talk? We get the little backstory that back in 2002, when B met Terry is also when John came back into her life. Mm. So she was with a friend and she was invited to go to some fair or something at the prison where they could like a family day. basically. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I had trouble. He was the I think it was one of the detectives that was explaining it. And he mm-hmm. just said, oh, it was like a fair for like inmates and people to interact and i was thinking that doesn't seem safe yeah it doesn't <laughs> well especially like people like john murray who's away from murder and they're like yeah let's let him roam with the, the town folk <laughs> you're right so b goes with her friend and there they are visiting a family member of the friends and she just oh accidentally oh oh bumped shoulders with mr johnny murray her ex-lover from 30 years ago and she's like hi john how are you um, I want to suck your dick. Keep in touch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking, like, what are the odds that she goes to this random fair with this random person and she meets, mm-hmm. you know, she runs into the man who essentially ruined her life because he got her hooked on drugs and everything. Her first love. Like, what are the odds? That's just, like, that's when I'm, like, you can't argue with fate. Like, I feel like they were fated to be, like, these star-crossed lovers that their relationship is hot and sexy but dangerous. I don't know. It's, like, that's why I'm, like, you can't make this shit up. You see, you think it's fate. I think it's made up. What do you mean made up? I think she fucking went there knowing John was there, wanting to see him, and wanting to rekindle the relationship. It's like, girl, get over him. <laughs> yeah, like, she 100%. It's not like their love ended out of nowhere. Their love ended because he was in prison for 30 years and she moved on. So clearly when she saw him again, all those feelings rekindled mm-hmm. and it was getting towards like the end of his sentence. And she was seeing that like opportunity for him getting out and they can be together again. So she was just hoping that she would run into him or something. I don't know. I feel like she had premeditated intentions of getting back with him. I don't think it was by fate. Oh, well there, I feel like their love must've been so like raw and passionate or something that she like, in her damn 60s could not get over this man i know i feel like you're acting like this is like some romance novel but it's just like trashy love (laughs) well that's the thing it's like their love has endured and everything but at the same time it's like fucked up too (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like kind of fucked (laughs) it's like that's why this episode is so good it is so good so after this fair whatever (laughs) They started writing letters and calling and visiting for the next 10 years because this was in 2002. The letters were steamy, too. <laughs> they kept, they said a couple of times. 
The letters were very steamy and erotic. And so we get back to Terry's family and they were saying how they were happy in the beginning. But then like the last few years, things started to change. Like it seemed like she was falling out of love with Terry. And then Vern was saying how she started to dress up and do her hair and makeup. And she was starting to look different. And she wasn't around as much anymore. And she kept visiting her daughter in Yonkers. She just kept visiting that daughter. Every weekend. What else could she? possibly been doing at that time like i don't know how much time she's getting off at walmart but it's more (laughs) than what i get well i'm thinking retail you always work weekends yeah (laughs) and so Vern, of course she was like i don't believe that she was visiting her daughter she was definitely having an affair and the (laughs) sisters thought so too and so they confronted terry but terry's like she's my wife i want to make it work with her stop talking shit about my wife and beatrice was just the family said that she just kept yelling at him constantly anything he did she was just oh my god terry shut up you know yeah and why do you let her treat you like that putting up with it she's my wife and i'm like damn terry terry was loyal like shit he wanted it to work out that was just who he was he was just a good like a good well they make him seem like a good guy but you know it takes two to tango Mm -hmm. he's probably doing some shit too one of the sisters says that barely not like not even a week before his death his sister terry finally said okay i'm not happy either i want out but he was just miserable so the sister said hey then leave and he was like well i feel bad she doesn't have a place to go and so the sister was like okay we'll leave her and you know come live with me and mom and he said no i don't want to leave my apartment so he doesn't want to leave his box fan yeah (laughs) which as a sister i would have found irritating like i'm coming up with solutions and you were not taking them (laughs) (laughs) like literally trying to help you and you're not accepting the help right it's like well i want to leave her but i don't want to leave my apartment but i don't want to do that (laughs) okay so next we get police are on the prowl Mm -hmm. (laughs) they got connection between b and john murray so they bring in b for questioning she immediately denies knowing john murray so the police are like oh shit like we got her like case closed basically we got hard evidence that her and john have some sort of relationship together they talk and john is a prime suspect in the murder of terry so they obtain a search warrant for the apartment they got yeah probable cause so they are able to get a search warrant for b's apartment in which they find a box labeled john with a box full of love letters between the two hundreds of these letters and they are very hot and steamy letters yeah um, Um, All about sex and all about living their lives together after when he gets out of prison. And basically, once they find all this information and all these letters, they bring him back to to B and she immediately remembers everything about John. Yeah, she's like, oh, that John Murray. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, that one that we saw go across the bridge at the same time. The timestamps add up and he's a prime suspect in your husband's death. Oh, yeah, that John. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So basically at this point, she's confessing everything like Sandra just basically gave them the tea on everything. She basically admitted that she was in an affair with John. And this isn't just like an affair. Like this is a 10 year affair. This is, that's insane that she was putting on this act for 10 years. She basically confessed that every time she told Terry that she was going to go see her daughters on the weekend, that she was actually going to see John Murray. They could have just confirmed by asking her daughter, oh, how was your visit? with your mother every weekend and her daughter would 
been like, what visits? Yeah, right? She'd been like, who? <laughs> yeah, like, who's that? I just have to say, I think it's so fucked up when parents like this involve their children in their lies and their debauchery. It's like, leave your yeah. fuck- Like, I don't care if that was her adult daughter. Leave her out of it. <laughs> right? Like, clearly the truth is going to come out one way or another. Like, mm-hmm. why are you just prolonging it? Apparently, during these visits between John and B, they would talk about how they were going to continue their love together and think of ways to get rid of Terry in this situation. And she admitted that she was involved in the murder, but it was all John's idea and that John was the one that pulled the trigger. So mm-hmm. here's my thing on this. If they want to come up with all these ways of getting rid of Terry, clearly Terry's not happy in the relationship with B. B's not happy with Terry. Why don't they just get a divorce? Clearly she's not killing him because she like is upset that he might leave her. She clearly wants out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Why not just get a divorce? I don't well, know. He doesn't want to leave his box fan. He already told you. Well, no, like... <laughs> my thing is like i feel like she would kill him because she's scared that he might leave her but Mm -hmm. it sounds like she didn't care if he was in the picture or not so like why not just not kill him and just leave him i don't know well because he had oh my god as always two life insurance policies (gasps) amounting in a hundred thousand dollars that's why (laughs) i feel like we've talked about this like eight thousand times i know that's always the reason The cell phone ping and the life insurance policy. Yeah. We need to make, oh my God, a snapped bingo. (laughs) That would be so fun. It would be because it happens every episode. And then we can post it on Instagram and our followers can like play along. Oh my God, that's such a good idea. Yes. If we ever get around to it. Yeah, when we do it. (laughs) Once we, let's make a deal. Once we get a new sponsor, we'll put up the snapped bingo sheet. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Guys, please like and subscribe. Mm -hmm. Get us to our goal. <laughs> and she like really put the blame on John that it was like all his idea and she was just like this poor damsel caught up in the chance of being reunited with her first love and she was just so hopeless and she couldn't control herself. <laughs> and the police did say that she seemed remorseful and she seemed, you know, regretful and whatever. So they placed her under arrest and with her confession that's enough to arrest John yeah. and they said when they arrested John Murray, he did not seem phased. He didn't even ask why he was under arrest. <laughs> like, he was just like, yep, okay, this is what's happening. Yep. So then we get a fast forward to uh, about a year and a half later to April 9th, 2014, which is the day of John Murray's conviction trial. Beatrice is the star witness. All the, I think it was a reporter said that she'd aged terribly. <laughs> Yeah, like she was not doing good. Yeah, because I would say that she looks like in the pictures with Terry that they were like showing on the screen, she looks like pretty well put together, pretty young and healthy and everything. And she was like late 50s, early 60s and everything. But they said, no, she looked like an old hag pretty much. (laughs) And so they attributed that to her guilt, the guilt weighing on her. Yeah. Which mm, I don't know if I believe that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so she was being charged with second degree murder. And of course, she was getting a plea deal for being the star witness. So yep. she was going to get life with the chance of parole with a minimum sentence of 15 years. So possibly she could be out in 15 years. She made a deal with the district attorney because really their main target was John Murray. Mm-hmm. They didn't care about B. They wanted John Murray sent away forever. So they convinced B with a 
plea deal for parole if she would turn against John Murray and go against him in trial. Mm-hmm. And she was happy to do it. They probably didn't have to ask her twice. <laughs> no, she was going to do it. Their goal is because they wanted to get the man that actually pulled the trigger. Exactly, yeah. Which I think is interesting because I feel like in other cases, like especially like I think about Pamela Smart, how she got a higher sentence than Billy did. And Billy was the one that killed him. So I feel like yeah. it's really like depends on who's doing the cases of who they want to nail i guess exactly and so we hear a little bit from john's lawyer and he was saying that john felt like he was being railroaded and mistreated and pegged for this crime he didn't do because of his priors and it was like a discrimination thing yeah because they didn't have really substantial evidence besides beatrice's testimony they didn't have the firearm they didn't have any eyewitnesses they had no dna so like it was really all hang on he said she said basically yeah it was like john saying oh b did it oh b saying oh john did it yeah <laughs> which i loved like you didn't know what the conclusion was going to be because mm-hmm. honestly the prosecution and defense had really really good points i felt yes i agree well and i was just thinking how interesting it is that it was her first love and she loved him so much she was so caught up on it but the second shit hit the fan they both turned on each other so hard like yeah right mm-hmm. well i guess you gotta think about it what's at stake here life in prison mm-hmm. so i guess you turn on anybody at that point and john had just spent 30 years and now he's gonna looking at spending more time yeah mm-hmm. so i guess yeah you turn pretty quick on anybody at that point yeah i guess you that's a pass for you john murray and bo and bo b <laughs> bo i thought you said mo <laughs> <laughs> same thing <laughs> mo bo whatever <laughs> So we get B starting with her testimony and she's describing the affair. Letters that they were sending back and forth were steamy and sexy. They really showed John's devotion to B. And they also played calls between the two, which must have been very steamy. Mm-hmm. Um, must have been very embarrassing to listen to those. We get word that basically once John got released, there was sexual intercourse being done. <laughs> being done? <laughs> even though they were both married so we don't get any backstory on john's wife which is so interesting like how does she feel about all this she was a fucking minister Mm -hmm. i know i feel like she would have been a very interesting player in this story but yeah we don't hear anything about her again we get word about the plot to kill terry about the life insurance policies we do hear there was audio of john convincing b to change terry's life insurance policy b was very unwilling to get this change and ultimately in the end there's audio conversation of B telling that she got the job done. She increased his life insurance policy. The next step was to kill Terry. Basically, the prosecution ends with that it was John's idea the entire time. There's several calls, audio recordings about it. And she said it was John that wanted to do it because basically John wanted Terry out of the way so that B and John could be together in the end. At the end of the day, that's what it was all about, I guess. Yeah. Um. And B was, she was acting very regretful. Like she was very upset that Terry past you know trying to just be a really big cry ass to the jury like show mm-hmm. her emotions she cared so much about terry but here he is dead <laughs> the crocodile <laughs> tears yes and so next up is the defense they said pretty much what we just said that don't believe a word she says she'll say anything to get a lesser sentence yeah <laughs> 
<gasps> Their stories were pretty much the exact opposite. She blamed everything on John. He blamed everything on her. And yeah. he said that it was all Beatrice's idea and that he just went along with it. And was like, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. But he didn't actually, like, kill him. He was yeah. just kind of placating her and talking about it. He said regarding the phone, the phone that was tossed aside that was on, that his number was on, he said that Beatrice had originally given him that phone to, you know, to for their secret little sexy sessions and that he had actually returned it to her the day before because he broke up with her and said he didn't want to do it anymore. So he said that she was obsessed with him and so she was the one who was plotting all this evidence like the phone and the calls and everything to get back mm -hmm. at him. So he said she was the one that pulled the trigger and she's framing me because I broke up with her. Which that defense is so good. Like I far firmly believe John did it but the defense was fucking great. Well I, I feel like because there's a lack of like hard evidence that yeah. they had more of a leg to stand on than a lot of other defenses in their position. <laughs> Finally, we get to the trial's end. And after one day of deliberation, the jury finds, drumroll please, <laughs> John Murray guilty of the murder of Terry Camper and the one that pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. Shocker, right? Even with that good defense. So B does get life in prison. She does go to prison as well, but she also gets her plea deal which was a possibility of parole which she had the possibility of getting out in 15 years so you know she really did her time as well or is doing her time but john was the one that ultimately got convicted of pulling the trigger which is what the district attorney and the prosecutors and all them wanted his family was happy with the verdict that john got but they were upset that beatrice was even getting the possibility perchance maybe of getting parole <laughs> they're like we want her to stay in jail forever and mm -hmm. if she tries to appeal we will be in that courtroom saying on behalf of terry and his family keep her ass in jail the police agreed like one of the officers summed it up pretty well and i'll put the clip in just pretty much saying they were plotting this for years they had so many times to say hey back up we shouldn't do this we can't do this yeah like hey what are we doing maybe we shouldn't do this right and that never happened to have such a premeditation involved to have uh, plans having been made for so long to, to do this. And she's just as guilty as the man who pulled the trigger. There's plenty of opportunity for, for these two to say, well, what are we thinking here? You know, this is horrible. We can't do this. No, they kept chugging along, man. They executed these plans and they executed Terry Camper. You know, that's just pure evil. It was 10 years in the making, this exactly. murder. It all built up to the finale, which was Terry's death, which is so sad. But yeah, it was 100% premeditated, even if in the end it was kind of maybe impulsive. Because I mean, after 10 years, why is today the day to do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they never really answer that. Yeah, I feel like there was a deeper rooted reason for why this happened. I don't really think after 10 years, he's finally like, I'm finally going to kill Terry and I'm finally going to get my girl back. Thanks something like maybe drugs were involved i don't know well and they were both married to other people it's like if you're so in love with this person why are you marrying other people <laughs> Uh, yeah right like get a divorce clearly B has experience with divorce like why couldn't she just do it for a third time well I don't think her and John were ever actually married oh they were mm -mm. I think they were just like young lovers 
You know? Oh, well, her second husband, she had experience there. Yes, <laughs> with her baby daddy. <laughs> so despite B's guilty plea, she appealed her second degree murder conviction. And in 2016, she was denied and she will be then eligible for her parole in 2029 at the age of 77. And you damn know that Terry Camper's family will be there. Mm-hmm. Cousin Vern will be front row saying she killed Lizard. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh my god, you guys. Was that not a riveting episode of Snapped? Literally, mm-hmm. I think that was the best episode of Snapped I've watched so far. Oh yeah, like when it all was revealed and the little seeds that they were planted yes. grew, I was like, oh my god, this is intense. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even put two and two together when they said John. I don't know why, but once it was revealed that John was B's first relationship, then I was like, oh shit, this is gonna be a good episode. Well, I was like, oh, it's a common name <laughs> yeah right there's so many fucking johns god come on parents start naming them something different these days yeah get creative <laughs> <laughs> but we hope you guys really enjoy this episode of snapped we really enjoy recording our snap series if you have any suggestion suggestions for us for our next episode please let us know by following us on instagram at crime on tap pod and messaging us what you would like to hear us discuss next listen to us on all major platforms so apple Spotify the other ones Mm -hmm. and comment leave a review share with your family and friends yes get us a different sponsor (laughs) please help us (laughs) no more anchor (laughs) even though we do use it every day we use it every every week or not every day yeah every week (laughs) (laughs) alrighty we thank you guys so much for being here and we'll see you guys next time where Where crime crime is is always on tap tap. (laughs) 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 (la